In the reading of God's Word, be reading from two passages this morning, well known, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 3 through 9, and then Ephesians chapter 6 as well. These are the words of God. Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." And then Ephesians chapter 6, children obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father we come with open Bibles and ask you to open our hearts, minds and souls. Let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Convict and encourage, instruct and lead us in the way in which we should go, and lead us all to Jesus Christ by means of your Spirit. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? A disciple is simply a learner, a student, a follower. The, The word disciple really incorporates all of that Uh, into it. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to be a learner, a student. And so we are all students. And so I'm going to address, as uh, as I tend to do as we begin new school seasons, once again, a Christian view of education. And a Christian view of education is something that children need to understand. And it is something that parents must understand. Of course, it is something that so many of you that are teaching actively Um, children in all kinds of different situations, whether it's in your home or in schools, co-ops, or through tutorial services, you need to understand. And it is really important that all of us understand as citizens of this country and as disciples and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, because because we have gotten this so messed up, our country is in so much of the state that is in because we have gotten just this point so messed up. We must learn what it means. Christians must learn what it means to provide a Christian education. The responsibility of doing that and what it entails for their children for the next generation. We are also corporately as the church, this particular church, teachers commissioned to disciple the nations along with all of the other churches around us. In other words, Um, We're to teach them, as Jesus instructed us, to obey everything the Lord has commanded. That means that all of us are students and all of us are teachers. All of us are students and all of us are teachers. To be Christian is to be in the world of education. And to be Christian is to submit all study under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. You never leave the authority of Jesus Christ in any subject, in anything that you do with your life, anything that you're thinking about, anything that you're studying, anything that you're teaching, all of it comes under the authority of the Lord Jesus. Repentance is needed on the part of Christian families for not obeying the text just read. 
Repentance is needed, deep repentance, on the part of the Christian church for not preaching these truths to their families. The Christian church is guilty of having not preached to, to families that they are responsible for the education of their children. A thoroughly Christian education is not an option for Christian parents. It is commanded by your Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And in saying that, I am not saying you have to put your kids in a school. I'm not saying that you must homeschool. I'm, I'm saying there are all kinds of ways to apply the principles and the commands and all kinds of situations that a family finds itself in um, that where they have to maneuver with, with, with regard to whatever resources they have to obey God. But they must obey God. And we as a church, as a family, as brothers and sisters of Christ, must do everything we can to come alongside to help everyone succeed in this enormous task that has been given to us. This is commanded. It's commanded by God. It's something that we have to take seriously. And it's something I know that so many of us do take seriously. But it's so important to be reminded of why we're doing what we're doing. It's so important to be reminded of why you are sacrificing all you are sacrificing. It is so important for the children to understand why we're doing these things with them. As God gave his law, I want to just, I'm going to just walk through the, this passage again, and th these two passages, and just kind of say again an overview of what Moses was instructing his people and then Paul, um, the church at Ephesus. As God gave his law word to his covenant people, he told them that careful study and practice from that word was required, and he also promised abundant societal blessing from doing so. Listen again to verse 3 of Deuteronomy 6. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it. Speaking of the word that he's giving to them, the, uh, the, the Ten Commandments and then the exposition of those Ten Commandments in the book of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, be careful to observe it that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Do you see what he's doing? He's saying, you, I want you to listen up and I want you to be very careful to understand what I have given to you. And the reason I want you to do that is because if you do that, as you do that, your society, your people will be blessed with the land flowing with milk and honey, with the ability to be prosperous, to live in peace with one another, with the ability to take dominion of the world in the way that I've instructed you to do. The center of all of this is loyal love to the one true God. Verse 4, you shall love the Lord your God. So the center of it is not raw, strict obedience. It is love. It is loyalty to the God who has given us every breath we have. And it is love with all parts of oneself in, in verse 5. All your heart, all your soul, all your strength. The word and this love was to be kept honestly and sincerely in one's heart. Verse 6. It was to be diligently explained and applied to and with their children throughout the whole day, inculcated into every part of life. And so that when he's saying, when you rise up and when you lie down, when you're going by the way, what he's saying is that the word of God applies in every area of life, and we need to be speaking to our children and living in front of our children under the submission and application of that word in everything that we're doing. And then also, it was to govern one's, um, it, was to, it was to be the guard and guide over one's actions and the filter of all observation and evaluation. 
It was to be, it, when, when the word was to be bound and put on the frontlets of their heads, the idea was that every, all the information coming in was to be evaluated according to God's word. Look, you all, everybody evaluates. Everybody, we've had this issue of data collection for the last 18 months, right? Everybody's evaluating data. Everyone's evaluating data and everything that is coming to them. The Word of God is the, center, is, is the centerpiece. It is the foundation by which we are to be able to determine what is right and wrong, what is true and what is false, what is beautiful and what is not. And so, and so the Word of God becomes that guide and guard. It also guides and guards our hands, the things that we do. And so it's bound to your hands as well. That's what Moses is talking about. The Word of God instructs how we are to live and how we are to think. And it was to govern one's family life as well as the societies. It was, to, it was to make a difference in how you lived as a family. And it's to together, family by family by family, it is to make a difference in the way that we live as a society. So he's not talking to just individual hearts. And he's not just talking to families. He's talking to a nation. He's talking to a people. And he's, and he's telling them, this is how you will be successful. This is how you will be a blessed people. Basically, you'll be a blessed people if you give your kids a Christian education. You'll be a blessed people if, if you give yourselves to applying God's words in all of subjects as your children in the next generation is being raised up. And then in Ephesians chapter 6, children are to obey their parents, which is one of the Ten Commandments that was given to the, the covenant people of Israel, but now we see that it's given to all Christian people, to Jew and Gentile alike. So when Paul's writing to Gentiles, he says the same thing to them. To the Gentile kids. Kids, those Ten Commandments, they're for you as well. Obey your parents in the Lord. And then he says, and, th and this is the first commandment with a promise. Same kind of thing. I want you to do these things diligently because I have great blessing for you if you do them and as you do them. And so we see that the promise extends to all covenant children and to the whole earth in verse 3. Parents and fathers in particular, as the head of the household, must be very careful in that role not to provoke their children to wrath, but rather to bring them up in the training and admonition, the paideia and the nuthesia, um, the, 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 the training, the word means the whole worldview discipleship. You're to, you're to bring them up so that they understand what it means to be a Christian in, in their workplace, in society, in the marketplace, with their neighbors, when they're, when, when they're reading, when they're playing, when they're resting. It, they understand what it means to be a Christian. And the nuthesia the admin, uh, is, is a admonition, the counsel of God's word for every situation. You're to show them how we can go to God's word for every situation, how it lays the foundation for everything and anything that we are to think about. That's your, that is your responsibility as a father. You don't get to choose. In fact, the deal is, is you are doing that as a father. The question is only whether you are doing it well and faithfully, or whether you are not, you're, you're abdicating and doing it unfaithfully. But as a father, that's, that's your charge. That's what, what has been given to you, which is why we need these reminders, which is why we need one another, which is why we have to take responsibility for all this. Jesus gives a very stern warning about our children and about all children. In Matthew chapter 18, he says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea than to have to face me. That's what Jesus was saying. 
If you cause one of these little ones to sin, especially to depart from the faith, if, you, if, 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 it, is, if it can be hung on you, it would be better if, you'd have been, if we'd have taken a big strong rock and thrown you in the middle of Lake Washington and let you go all the way down than to, have to, than to be found in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and that warning was being not just given to, uh, to fathers, it was being given to a society, to a people, who were, being, who were encouraging their children right there in front of Jesus to not believe in him, to not follow him, to reject him, to not consider him relevant. And Jesus says, if you do that to a little child, woe to you. It, it's, a strong, it's a strong and decisive warning. And that woe and that warning and, and, God, and, and ex, the expectation we should see God's judgment on a nation that turns its children away from the Lord... Um, is, is, it should cause us to tremble with fear because that's what we are doing as a nation. That is what we are doing as a nation. And to this nation, Jesus would be said, it would be better if you threw yourselves with a big strong rock off in the Pacific than to show up in my courts one day because of the way you are raising the children of this next generation. That's what he's saying. That's how serious this is. Christian families are guilty of abdicating the responsibility to give their children a Christian education. We as a nation have been guilty of experimenting upon our children through our government education system. Christians have bought the lie of neutrality in education and in the process truncated what we mean by Christian in education. And Christians have done so because pastors across the land have done so. We're guilty of, of being poor shepherds with regard to our people and in, in think, in thinking that we can talk to, to Christians as though it doesn't matter who their teacher is six or seven hours a day, five days a week for 13 or 17 years of their lives. It just doesn't matter as long as you make sure they go to a Wannis club or, or a Sunday school every once in a while. What are we thinking? What are they thinking? The Lord of the universe has declared a great woe upon us. And he has done so whether we acknowledge him or not. If you have a Bible, I want, I, I want to read another important and well-known passage. But it's so important to see this here. And, and, I, and I'm thinking about um, even those of you who are, uh, have joined us in the last couple of years to, to just see, very, see where we stand on this, uh, on this issue of uh, the importance of a Christian education. Romans 1 um, just makes so clear that we have this rival religion um, in front of us, and what happens when we have a rival religion that we, that we, uh, that we allow people to play around with. In, in Romans 1:18, follow along with me. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Who suppress the truth. It's right before them, and they suppress the truth because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood um, by the things that are made, even so, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. One of the things you should see from that verse is that, that there is a way to cut with the grain, the grain of God's creation and show them God's glory. See God's glory in the midst of, uh, of your study. You, you can be studying um, math. You can be studying astronomy. You can be studying physics. You can be studying history. You can be studying economics. And, 
And with eyes wide open, humble and submissive before God, you can see the Lord in all of this. You can see the Lord of our, the, our Lord, our God, in the midst of all this. It's set up for us that way. If we, if we will do so humbly in submission to him, we have to make a decision not to. We have to make a decision to suppress the truth. And when we make that decision, we are making that decision lying to ourselves, saying things like, I can't see, I can't see, I can't see. When all it would take is just take your hands away. It's as obvious and clear as day that, that there was a personal creator over this universe and your soul. And you know it. But because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because of our, this, this nature, we lie to ourselves and to one another. That's what Paul's talking about. But then he goes on and says, here's what happens. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, all of the accolades, all of the degrees, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only to do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Welcome to 2021. When it comes to acknowledging the truth and where that truth comes from, you only have one of, one or two, one of two options. Either you openly acknowledge and thank God for all things, declaring his glory in everything, and life becomes sane, or you suppress the truth in darkness, pretend to be wise by making man the center of everything and set up your own system of right and wrong. This is the great sin of the enlightenment, and we are swimming in it deep. In Proverbs 1.7, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You know the rest of that verse? But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools hate it. They hate God's wisdom. And they, would, and they hate to fear the Lord. All knowledge must be received and evaluated in a mind filled with presuppositions. Like I said, we all have to take data in, and then we all have to interpret it. And we all have to have certain standards by which we're going to interpret it. And there's kind of the old 1950s or so mentality that people are basically good and common and decent 
And so they can evaluate data in a common and decent way. And if you take a snapshot, that can happen. You, you can have an unbeliever make a very wise decision in spite of the presuppositions that he's working from. You, you can have someone analyze a number of data or a bunch of facts and, and, and end up with a conclusion that makes a lot of sense. But it's in spite of the presuppositions by which he is living and acting and making those decisions. And that can happen in a snapshot. But don't you see what has happened in the video? Don't you see what has happened over the generations where we, where we have said, we can do neutral education. We can, we can take God out, out of our, our thinking about what, what, how we understand the world. And people can still make really good decisions. They can't over time and over generations. And part of the reason they can't is because God gives us up to our uncleanness. He gives us over to, he, he says, if this is what you want, you, you, if you want to, if you want to be that close to the cliff, let me show you what it's like. And he pushes. That's what he does. And we are, we have this opportunity. God has granted us this glorious opportunity to, to turn in, in repentance. Uh, individually, as families, and as the church, generally. He has, there's such a wonderful offer that is being made in, in the world through Christian education now for, for the church and then to the rest of the world. The fundamental assumptions about the nature of truth, goodness, and beauty are either submissive to the declared word of God or they are in rebellion to them. It's one or the other. Jesus said in Matthew 12, he who is not with me is against me and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Education, therefore, is one of the most religious things we do. There is no neutrality in education. It is one of the most religious things that we do. Now, in, in, Deuteron in Deuteronomy 6, verse 7, it said, You shall teach them diligently, you, parents, fathers, and you shall talk of them, etc., etc. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And it says in Ephesians 6, 4, that fathers are to bring them up in an education of the Lord. There is no biblical warrant at all for the civil government to be involved in the education of children. The responsibility for that rests squarely on the shoulders of fathers. But the abdication of this responsibility has brought us great grief and confusion. Our confusion in this has led to confusion regarding the biblical doctrine of sphere sovereignty. And it has spilled over into all kinds of more, all kinds of additional problems for our society as well now. There are implications for our abdication. There are, there are implications downstream for unrepentant sin that you weren't expecting in your own life and in the life of a nation. There are unexpected consequences. There are plenty of warnings in scripture, but you don't know how bad your sin is going to unravel your life you think you can, maybe you think you can just hide it. You think you can just let someone else cover it up. You think someone else can just take care of it. What you need to understand is God is not, God is not mocked and, and, and you can't control where this is going. And our nation can't control where this is going. And we have become so confused. We, who were, who, who were the, the founding nation, understanding that, that men can't be trusted, that kings can't be trusted, that those in authority can't be trusted, that there must be checks and balances, are on the brink of tyranny again. Why? 
Well, I would, I would argue with you, it is, the, it is the unexpected but natural consequence of not teaching that Christ is Lord over everything. Th these things are all connected. So, briefly, I, I'm not, a whole sermon could be uh, preached on this, but briefly, God has ordained three governments, He has established three governments, and He's defined their responsibilities. He did so limiting the breadth of what they may govern and limiting the, their power by claiming all of them to be under the full lordship of, 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 of Jesus Christ. So he sets up three, three governmental structures for the world, for the society, for humans. And he does so, so that limiting what each, what each government can do, telling them you may do this, but you can't do these other things because there's another government that is, that is to take care of those things and limiting their power in each circumstance because all of them are sub subject to their king, the Lord Jesus. Um, you, you may have heard it said, but it's worth saying again, well, we, um, we do believe in the separation of church and state. We do not believe in the separation of God and state. Church and state are separate governments, but they're both under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, um, these three governments are the government of the church, the, the civil government, and the government of the family. The family. What is the family to do? Well, the family is the Ministry of Health, Education, and Welfare. The, the Ministry of Health, Education, and Welfare is not supposed to be some huge building in Washington, D.C. The Ministry of Health, Education, and Welfare is each one of these families. That's where it centers. That's where it begins. That's who's going to answer to God for how did education, health, and welfare go. The church is a ministry of word and sacrament. And the state is the ministry of the sword, protecting the rights of citizens, punishing wrongdoers, and keeping the peace. Throughout church history, um, throughout church history, each of these governments has been guilty of overreach at different times. Today, we live in a day of civil government overreach. Accusing fingers for this problem are pointed at abdicating, abdicating fathers or theologically weak and corrupted churches and grasping political tyrants. We think the problem, um, we, we, we want to point to fathers not taking responsibility, which is true. Theologically weak and corrupted churches, which aren't teaching the gospel or declaring the sphere sovereignty and our responsibilities, which is true. And grasping political tyrants, which is certainly true as well. However, and I think this is really helpful, Abraham Kuyper called it right when he said this, in any successful attack on freedom, the state can only be an accomplice. The chief culprit is the citizen who forgets his duty, wastes away his strength in the sleep of sin and sensual pleasure, and so loses the power of his own initiative. In the midst of his own sensual pleasure, Keep them doped up, keep them happy, send another stimulus check. We sleep, and we let the tyrants run. We don't take responsibility. We don't stand up with the initiative that we've been given as citizens. This is what Kuiper would say. And when we, do, when we don't do that, that, that what, that's what gives them the opportunity then um, to, to have the overreach. As one prophet of our own said, there is no such thing as a free lunch or a free stimulus check for that matter. As I see it, one of the subjects we are not versed in, that we need a crash course in, all of us, and that we must saturate our children in, is a Christian view of civics, of these government spheres, 
of the sovereignty of each government sphere, including the importance of sphere sovereignty, the separation of powers, the necessity of resistance to tyrants, the Protestant resistant theory, the difference between citizens and subjects, the doctrine of the lesser magistrates, and the Protestant work ethic. But that would necess necessitate a thoroughly Christian education. It could not be taught, any of those could not be taught faithfully un unless it was being taught under submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so, we have a lot of work ahead of us. But I've been involved in Christian education for more than two decades, and it is wonderful to see how God has blessed in so many ways. There is, there is so much good going on. It, it used to be nothing but a small remnant, and it is growing to be quite a movement. God, would you be kind and merciful to us to pass that on to the next generations, that they might stand on our shoulders and do even more, even more with what has been given to us. Malachi, at the end of the Old Testament, um, Malachi predicts or says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and I will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. And part of that is fulfilled when fathers turn to their children in full responsibility, call their children to come with them. We're following Jesus, and this is how we're going to do it. And children turning to their fathers, obeying their obeying their fathers in the Lord. When God does that, wonderful things begin to happen. The opportunities and availability of providing a Christ-centered education for your children are exploding all around you. In homeschools, co-ops, tutorial services, private Christian schools, curriculums, training guides, and a couple of generations of parents now sitting around who have some experience can tell you the war stories, what not to do. I have a long list. We're far more than a remnant now who have been doing the work. But the work ahead of, ahead of us will be hard. It will continue to be hard. Children, education will be hard. It's supposed to be hard. It's hard to learn. It takes a lot of work. And when you're done with the work and you get to the end of the problem and, and you finally get a hold of it, the really good news is you get to move on to harder things. And then when you get to move on uh, harder things and harder things and harder things, what you will find is you begin to take dominion of the world around you, which is just what Jesus has called you to do. But the work will be hard. Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary while, going, while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Parents, it will be hard to raise your children. It will be hard when they're newborns. It will be hard when they are little toddlers and now they have enough strength to pull things down. It will be hard when they figure out how to lie and use their strength in all kinds of evil ways with their brothers and sisters. It will be hard when they don't want to study. It will be hard when they don't like you. It will be hard when they want to argue the point with you again. It'll be hard for you to prepare. It'll be hard for you to read up and be ahead of them. It'll be hard for you to raise the money to pay for the education. It will be hard work, lots of hard work. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap. Paul says, we shall reap if we don't lose heart. Moses said, obey the word carefully, diligently, and the world is yours. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now you go and disciple the whole world. Go do it. It'll be hard. But I've given you all that you need. That's what we're told. 
Ever since the garden, our work has been much harder than God originally ordered. And we're now trying to recover a systems of learning and thinking that we have tried to destroy for generations. Great potential threats to freedom of education loom on the horizon of our culture as I speak. We need to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Children, as you hear this message, you need to grow in your gratefulness and appreciation of the sacrifice of your parents and this community that they are making to help you to grow up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Obey your parents in the Lord in glad-hearted response. Immense blessings await those who will. Obey your parents in the Lord in glad-hearted response to their hard work. Immense blessings await those who will do so. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. And Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. We are a community of believers. All of us are teachers. All of us are students. All of us believers. And around you here are a multitude of great needs with this charge. While the responsibility for the education of the children rests in the hands of fathers, we have responsibility as brothers and sisters in Christ to comfort, encourage, pray for, support, admonish, to love one another. Ryan Evans, Trinity Church is at your service. How can we help Providence? Classical Conversations, Trinity Church is at your service. How can we help you? Homeschoolers, you're not alone. How can we help you? We are the church, and we will do everything in our power to come alongside and support the ministry of education, because it is your charge, and we know it's hard. And as I say that, I hope that there are many of you who are thinking, I'm going to make sure I take care of that teacher this year. I'm going to make sure I provide help to that homeschooling mom. I'm going to make sure that I jump in where I wasn't thinking I was going to jump in earlier, because I, I know I'm called to do this. We must, we must encourage, instruct, and support one another in all of this. Except for the grace of God, all of our efforts to instruct our children will be in vain. That's what we sang in Psalm 127. But he has given us promises for our children, and we must stand on those promises. If we do the work without faith, absent of believing in God's promises, we will be guilty of another form of man-centered arrogance. But here's the good news, brothers and sisters. If we do the work in faith, we will be the recipients of abounding grace in the work and in the harvest. Go to school. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Gracious Father, shower your blessings down upon our schools and homeschools, co-ops, and every teacher giving himself or herself to this blessed task assigned by you. May our children truly stand on our shoulders in the work of the kingdom, and may we go to bed tired for the good hard work you have given us to do, tired but thankful and full of the hope of all your promises to us. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.